The following is an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works. This is the Building a Leadership Culture to Reach Your Destination podcast, hosted by President of Applied Vision Works, Don Hadley. An in-depth look at the four pillars of sustainable success. So this is Don Hadley of Applied Vision Works. We're here to talk about powerful culture and smart growth. Craig Chase is our guest. I've known Craig for actually, I believe, about a year now. And it's been interesting in the course of a year, all that I have personally learned from him as well as from a business perspective. And I think he has a uh, unique perspective. Part of what I find fascinating, he both has great heart and cares a lot and is a very cheerful personality. In fact, he was called Mr. Sunshine yesterday by a client. But at the same time, he can have the tough conversations and he will be very direct and he will argue and fight with me until he draws blood and then continue going. So he's got that ability to really do both things that we need people to do if they're having real conversations. So Craig, you requested to kind of, hey, you thought this would be a great topic. Tell me a little bit why this spoke to you or what it was that uh, motivates you to want to talk about this. So this is something that speaks uh, very true to my heart. And I did want to tie together some of the podcasts we had in the past. So we've talked about culture. We talked about growth. We talked about leadership. So kind of bringing these all together into powerful culture and smart growth. And how do we really sustain that growth? Or if you're in a spot where you need to grow it to actually grow the culture while you're growing the business, that's quite a task. And uh, how how do you do this? So from what I've seen and what I've observed, a lot of it comes down to emotional behavior. And I had a very emotional experience positively and then a very emotional experience negatively with, with the company I was with for about five years. And it's really made me realize how important culture really is to, it's not only important to the overall well-being of the employees, but to the success and the bottom dollar line of the company and the financial stability of a company. I was with this company and I came on board. So let me stop you for just a second, if you don't mind. Back up for just a minute. Is there some reason you took the job? So Mm -hmm. before you took the job, you go through the interview process and you agree to take it, but you're not there yet. What was it that caused you to want to take the job? What excited you? What was the opportunity? What, What did it look? But also you brought up this emotional thing, which is mm-hmm. very important because that's without that emotion, people aren't motivated to do great things. So what were the feelings along with what you were thinking before you actually got on board? So if I could actually back up uh, a little bit personally for you, about seven years ago, we moved down here to Raleigh and I had primarily been in the retail management field. I went to school for marketing, but through experience and uh, hard work, I unfortunately found myself kind of in a loop with my experience in being qualified for certain positions. And whenever I moved down here, my one rule for myself was that I was not going to work in a retail field again. And so I uh, I was researching jobs and I came across uh, Company X and I was just blown away. They had an unbelievable culture. They spent f- the first week you were there, the first 40 hours, you didn't set a foot out on the floor. You're in the back learning the system, learning their core values. And really they spend the first 15 to 20 hours just learning about the culture. They plaster their core values and just everything they do relates back to their vision and their purpose. And it all just felt so great and fit together and it was just so refreshing to be part of something that felt real rather than kind of a background message of a sticker on the wall that everyone kind of knows what it is but doesn't really feel and live. So, so you'd made the decision not to go back in the retail but yet you stumbled across a company that you were really excited about getting back in the retail. I actually was yes just based off of 100% the culture and so with this company whenever I came on board they had a lot of uh, full-time leaders and really people that uh, put the cult in culture 
if you will, the people who you know lived, breathed, ate, slept, spoke the core values and, and just preached it all day long. And it was something really cool to be a part of. And throughout the time I was there over the years, I started slowly noticing that the people in these that this cult I spoke of were really the second tier leaders in the company. And the upper management was, uh, Stephen spoke in the last podcast, you know, wasn't talking the talk and walking the walk. Mrs. Don loves to say weren't eating their own cooking. And so is so, there an example of that specifically you can think of? We, we talk about being on a silo and just not really communicating with the team. I, I find it fascinating that a, a leader can be a part of a company and not talk to their top five people in two weeks, but have been at work every single day, which is really interesting. And the financials showed for it. And what really took a toll was the team. And the, the first thing was not the financials. The first part was watching the team slowly just get burned out, just get grinded down. And over a five-year period, you know, we'd lose one key, amazing top-tier person that could be a CFO or CEO of a company working, you know, basically at an hourly rate because of this amazing culture. There were doctors that worked, that retired and worked part-time at this company because they just loved the culture so much. So why were they burning out? What was missing in the recipe or what was in the recipe that was ruining them? The support, the fact that uh, all the weight was falling onto the team, the, the leaders not walking the walk and talking the talk, all the problems that were supposed to be upper-level management started to slowly trickle down and bigger and bigger problems. And a lot of people aren't trained to handle some of those problems. So you had bigger and bigger mistakes and mistakes that cost a lot of money. And so unfortunately, just over that time, it slowly dwindled down to the point where it got really, really hard to be there. And it was... And what made it hard to be there? What was occurring? Like when you'd go in for today to work, what what would you expect? Just just the feeling, you know, we talked about how do you know whenever you've you've made it? How do you know when your culture is there? That feeling was gone. Uh, Whenever you go in there, people weren't cheery. People weren't happy. There wasn't an... One of their foundation principles was called the air of excitement. And so it was maybe having fun at work and making things great and and happy. And that was really the first obvious one to go is that it was kind of a very negative, very hostile work environment to be a part of. And So let me ask you this, because periodically when I'm talking to leaders that aren't as experienced is I'll be talking to them and they're asking me about somebody that works for them. And they'll say, well, we pay this person. They ought to just do it. And, you know, as I'm hearing what you're saying is, you know, you're going back a lot to feelings, support, this fluffy, weird stuff. Help me understand this. Why is that so important? Because this is what they're paid to do, right? Shouldn't they just kind of do their job? Or is what's behind this from your perspective, from your experience? Oh, absolutely. The key behind it is emotion drives behavior. Whenever I look at what is an actual culture, a culture I feel is made up of a number of different things. Honesty, loyalty, trust, openness. These these feelings you talk about that are intangible, when they come together, become something tangible. It's almost uh, whenever you feel an awkwardness in a room, there's a, there's a certain musk or feeling in the room whenever something is is actually clicking and something is actually physically there and working correctly. You can just see the expression on people's faces. There's a glow and an aura, if you will, around everybody. So by having that emotion being taken out of them and not building that emotion up, it starts to slowly just chip away one day at a time at those, the loyalty and the, the trust is probably the first thing to go. It sounds like these aren't just feelings, but they're also values. It sounds mm-hmm. like there's a close correlation. That is absolutely true. And that's one of the things I thought was most interesting whenever we were listening to Stephen talk about the core values of GSM, a lot of them you can relate to those those words are actually what I wrote down, honesty, loyalty, trust, openness, the really the, the glue that holds the core values together and what they represent to drive that behavior. Sometimes I find when we're talking about vision and values and relationships and getting results and financials and all that is I find if we're talking about the right thing with our audience, with our culture, with the team, whoever we're engaging with, there's a lot of feeling associated to it. I think somebody can say the word integrity and not feel a lot. I think 
somebody that's had some really bad experiences with integrity and really great experience will say integrity with a whole different feeling because they've lived it, they've felt it. And I think as leaders, this is part of what we're trying to communicate is this feeling, but then get how do we create the feeling and put enough structure to it so the feeling can be focused and it means something. Now, am I reading too much into what you're saying or? No, that's absolutely correct. And to kind of, to bring it back around, what it comes down to is you can have the absolute strongest culture in the world, but if your people aren't living it, if you're not, as Stephen talked about, promoting it, talking about it, making it top of mind and really focusing your vision and what you're doing around those core values, you will lose your culture in a heartbeat. So the name of the podcast was Powerful Culture and Smart Growth. I don't know that we've talked a lot about growth at the moment. When I think back to the podcast with Monty Perry, he talked about smart growth. So how does this relate to growth, your experience? What have you learned about growth? Were y'all growing at this time or declining? Well, unfortunately, they're declining and because of a lot of uh, poor choices, they continue to decline, which is why I wanted to talk about uh, powerful culture and smart growth. So if a company in a position where they're, they're, I would give their culture a 10 out of 10 easily. If their culture was a 10 out of 10 and they were able to let it slip while they were trying to grow and ended up actually not growing. But how could it be at a 10 if they're so goofed up and have so many problems, they're losing good leaders, Mm -hmm. they're starting to make bigger and bigger mistakes, they're accumulating? Well, this was just one specific store in a whole network of stores. So I was only seeing a direct impact of poor leadership in my location. Looking else out where in the in the broad spectrum, the culture was thriving a lot alive and well, which reinforced my belief that what I was seeing was absolutely correct as far as um, how to build a proper culture. So when I look, when I think about it, you know, it's when I think of wood rot. Wood rot starts one place and it starts to grow. Was it visible? There was wood rot at this store to other stores to upper management. Was there anything being done from other directions to try and help this brother or sister in Raleigh store that, that wasn't doing so well? Yeah, it's hard to say. I do have my theories, of course, but unfortunately, it, it wasn't really that. It wasn't that visible at first. And and even in so, all leaders, I believe, have good intentions. I don't think that this guy thought what he was doing was wrong. I think he thought he had the right approach and he was doing things correctly. But unfortunately, he his his vision and the way he was acting was not appropriate to sustain a culture. And that's where we come in as a, as a business to give you a second set of eyes where if you feel like, hey, maybe I'm not on track, or you're starting to see some of these behaviors I've talked about. People slowly starting to leave key important people that you thought you would have your whole time leaving, not because they've had better opportunity, which we always want to support in a, in a strong culture, but leaving because of the culture and leaving because it's not living up to what it once was. You know, that's where a group like us can come in and really take a look at your culture and see what areas are missing, what blind spots you have, and what things we can do to help get your culture on track or change your culture completely to get it to where you want to be. Part of the concern I've got is we coach people. One of the biggest defenses I hear against changing bad behavior, well, I have good intentions. I'm working hard. I'm trying to help. And, you know, I used to 35 years ago think those were great things, but I'm beginning to really, it's scaring me how hard people will work and still get no result at how they will defend what is poor behavior that has great intentions. But the key is we've got to get this result at the other side of things, partly because I think we owe it to people. But a lot of times people aren't looking at what they're doing to the audience. They look at what they're doing, working hard. It's almost like they're in their own bubble. It's self-absorption, in my opinion, is where I've come to look at it. Whereas me talking to you right now, I need to look at you and what's your reaction? Is this helping you? I need to have dialogue with you. If I say I have great intentions to interact with Craig, if I have, you know, I'm working hard to help Craig, 
leg, but it's not helping you and it's hurting the relationship, we've got to figure out some way to have that dialogue, discuss it, and figure it out. I can't defend with these other things. And I find our modern culture seems to love these other things or use them as defense mechanisms. And it sounds like some of that was going on there. Craig, when you're kind of harking on what Don just said, would, would it be fair to say that there was a, a really broad disconnect between that top leadership and the, and the, and the t- mid-level leaders where the culture was good and then they lost that connection? Was that because not getting out on the floor, so to speak, you know, not being familiar personally a whole lot with retail and how that works, but where, where do you think that disconnect occurred and what could you know, those top leaders, what could they have done to avoid that? Accountability would be the word I would choose. It is exactly that, just the leaders not taking the ownership of I need to be present, I need to be out there and have be talking to my people and doing what I need to do to build the culture and speaking it whenever I'm with every single person and helping the team grow and just being a, an active presence of being part of that cult to, and it's a main leader in it to really speak and help it grow. So it sounds like they should have been physically present, speaking, talking with others, which kind of goes back to the supportive thing that you'd mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but the supportive ought to be driving feelings, motivation. So what it really comes down to for me is leaders leading by example, talking the talk, walking the walk, and really just being a, a, a active member in wanting to build the culture. If you aren't wanting to do something, it's not going to happen. So to have a leader in a position that does not want your culture to grow is going to eventually long-term kill the business. We talk about having people aces in your places. So even in a, a leadership culture and in as a leader inside that culture, if you're noticing that there are members of your team that aren't living up to the culture, they may be the best top producing person that you have. But this is a good lesson from my experience that if you continue to hold on to them and don't talk to them or try to steer them in the right direction, that long term, they're going to end up hurting your company. Very nice. That sounds like some good advice. If you were coaching, Stephen, if you were coaching Craig in this situation, what are some things you'd be coaching him to do to reinvigorate and and it sounds like there's a bit of fighting upper management, so to speak, or upper management wasn't assisting the effort. Uh, they're just not there. Okay. You know, I think uh, there's a couple ways to, to approach it. First is what can you do personally not to circumvent the, the top leadership, but just to, you know, put your own stamp on maintaining the culture in the, you know, in the environment that you're in if it's at this individual uh, individual store then you know not knowing you know the culture and the hierarchy was was the top leadership even open you know were they available enough where someone like yourself could go talk to them and and even you know have these tough conversations that we talk about in in leadership and, and maintaining cultures you know if if that you know if you're thinking about leaving a company anyway well, what are you going to lose by having by going to talk to the you know and ask ask the the, the leading questions on why do you think uh, you know the this the store is underperforming now? Why, 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 asking these tough questions that you know, of course, my experience is that sometimes the leaders are open to that. Sometimes, sometimes they're not. As the culture deteriorates, it becomes less and less noticeable. So, so I don't know if that culture was there um, where you could go do that. Sometimes that works out great. Sometimes it doesn't. But you know, having the having uh, trying to get past that fear of going to talk to upper upper leadership is one way. A couple of ways to to maybe try to go down a different path. That brings up a really good point because I wish I would have spoken up sooner. You know, I, I waited too long. I waited about uh, probably about three 
years before I really made a, a strong move in getting very vocal about things. Why so long? That seems like a long time. You know, I think it ties into my human element with not wanting to be in, in conflict. I had a lot going on and just having one more problem that I was creating myself was not something I was interested in doing. I just but did you really create it yourself? I did. I did in retrospect. If I would have uh, spoken up and uh, been more proactive earlier, I believe maybe I would have had different results. But uh, unfortunately, my silence was acceptance and agreement. And so what, it, what eventually happened? Eventually, I, I burned myself out. I tried to step up and be the one and put the world on my back and uh, be Atlas, so to speak. And unfortunately, that world crushed me. It burnt me out emotionally, physically, mentally. My, all areas of my life ended up suffering because of it. Um, we talked about servant leadership in one of the last ones. And if you don't surround yourself with other servant leaders, how quickly you can burn yourself out. So it sounds like you got locked up in an institution. Is that what happened? Or well, I created did you my narrowly avoid it? You created your own institution. That's a good thing. So I am glad they did not take care of you because we got we were able to hire you. So I'm Thank very you. glad of that piece. Although hate you had to go through the pain of it. So what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Oh, I hate that phrase. I'm tired of getting stronger. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience like that, Stephen? I know you've owned your own company, but has there been an experience like that? Because you're in a lot of organizations getting crushed by your own culture, even though you're the owner. That doesn't sound right if I'm a non-owner. How could your culture crush you? That's a good question. So yeah, I would say specifically to what Craig just described, uh, there have been more than one occasion where delaying the tough conversation led to more agony for everyone, including myself. You know that we we have a tendency, my yeah, even myself especially, we have a tendency to want to avoid the tough conversations, being candid with our coworkers, especially if it's somebody that we feel like we're going up the chain, so to speak. Is it, you know, is, is it not my place? Is you have to have a culture where you're open to that. So unless those tough conversations are had, it's not going to get better typically. And are you better at having those conversations now than you were 10, 15 years ago? Oh, no, no question about What's it. What's the biggest difference? Learning that the fear and delay is worse than the outcome, <laughs> right? Regardless of where you end up, the we create this picture in our head that oh gosh, this, this there's going to be a conflict, or oh, what if this person leaves, or oh you know, so we we create all these images in our head of how terrible it's going to be and how bad it's going to be. However, I have never experienced it where it was as bad as I had built the, the situation up in my head. I've had that same experience. It's always ten times, and I spend ten times as long, and I'm cranked out of my frame. So that's true. Yeah. So God. in relating this back to smart growth, if you want to grow your culture while growing your company, it comes down to leading by example and really speaking your core values, making sure you have a strong vision, and just relating everything back to that vision. But it sounds like a critical element to that is not delaying the conversation you're thinking about having, but having it and perhaps having it even too early. I think part of the experience I've had by having conversations way too early, we get a good laugh most of the time. It's not an issue. We move on. But the few times it's really starting to become a problem, it really becomes something more effective. Part of what this reminds me of is in a number of cases we've discussed an event. I'll walk into a meeting and somebody says, well, Johnny hit Susie, blah, blah, blah. And we get real focused on the event. And as I've gotten older, I almost don't care about the event. Johnny maybe shouldn't have hit Susie, but I don't really care. What I care about, if this is the fifth time that Johnny has hit Susie, we've got a pattern. We've got a pattern of events. Part of 
of my experiences, man, is I don't know who's right or wrong. He probably shouldn't have hit her, but maybe there's something else going on. So I need to go investigate kind of both situations. A lot of organizations, though, have a tendency to say, hey, Johnny has hit Susie. It's a pattern. Let's put a process in place. The processes are great for the most part. Processes, in my opinion, work 93, 95% of the time, but they don't work 100% of the time. So we've got to keep an open mind and look for the exceptions to the rules, so to speak, so that we don't just blindly do the same thing over and over. The biggest level of opportunity for us as leaders or even somebody in, and anybody anywhere in life is really mental models. If I spend a lot of time in events, it's a hurricane. That's not good. But if I'm looking at patterns and then I focus on that, I'm putting my time energy something more powerful. Setting up processes to handle 95% of stuff is wise. It's efficiency. But the biggest thing of all is teaching people how to think. Having a mental model allows you to look at the process and make a judgment. Is this process handling enough issues or do we need to change it or look at it or have a discussion? It lets us identify patterns so we're not just burning ourselves out on a whole bunch of events that may not really mean that much in the bigger scheme. So one of the things I wanted to share on this is what you mentioned is about earlier saying something, but also I think where you say something isn't about the event. It's better to talk or have the conversation about the pattern. Use the pattern to discuss how do we get a process to handle most of these things, but then let's take values. We've had a theme in all we've been talking about today with values, creating a culture, feeling. All of those things really are mental models of how we view the world. And if the three of us can sit down, share our view of the world, we can identify and have about any conversation we need to have. But a lot of people don't understand that or believe it. They get very focused in the event. They apply intention. And I really have no intention what somebody's has to an event. And by the way, most people do have good intentions. Very few people wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to go give hell to Chris Hooks this morning. It's usually I've got good intentions and I use bad behavior. So I just wanted to say that. I didn't mean for that to be such a monologue, but I believe that's one of the important elements to, you brought up the human element earlier, to psychology. If I go look at psychologists that have really studied how the human mind works, this is something that's one of the best tools to avoid some of this negativity. So kind of the last 20 minutes or so we've talked, um, just how would you summarize it, Stephen? Kind of where did we end up on this from your point of view? What's the value our listeners should get from this? Well, it's been a, um, a good discussion about the culture and the, 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 the potential disconnect between you know leadership, peers of leadership. Because I think ultimately a leader's responsibility or goal is to create other leaders. And to, to Don's point that he just made is leaders who can think on their own and, and be uh, you know, autonomous. As an owner of a company myself, you know, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for leaders who can make decisions based on our core values, based on staying connected to you know people that they have that might work for them. And uh, that's the you know, that's the ultimate goal. And uh, and to not make try to come up with processes and procedures based on the one, two, three percent of the time. The things that happen so few times is what we want to act, react to the event that you just described, right? And not really the underlying issue or opportunities that we have. So you know, that's ultimately what leadership is about and staying connected. Otherwise, you get into this culture deterioration that, that Craig uh, was describing. Craig, how would you kind of summarize what do you think our listeners should most get out of what we talked about? So I recently watched a video by Jordan Peterson called Better Your 
yourself or make yourself better. And the first words that come out of him are, stop blaming others for your problems. Other people aren't the problems. You're the problem. <laughs> and so that, that, you know, that made me chuckle. And even in my situation that I was in, I, I could have taken action to avoid that problem much earlier and, and really have avoided the culture collapse. And I, you know, I was a part of that deterioration. So if you were a part of it, make take action early. And if you feel as a leader that you are contributing to something like that, it's time to step up and take action. Very nice. Very well said. I think I've yacked enough. Um, Chris Hooks, our moderator and technical staff for this session. Connoisseur. How would you summarize what value do you think our listeners should get out of this? Two thumbs up. Four. Culture. Culture. <laughs> He's probably playing a video game on his telephone. You can check out our website at AppliedVisionWorks.com or email me directly at cchase at AppliedVisionWorks.com. You've been listening to the Building a Leadership Culture to Reach Your Destination podcast, hosted by Don Hadley, owner and president of Applied Vision Works. Any questions, concerns? Please email Craig Chase at cchase at appliedvisionworks.com or call 800-786-4332. This has been an exclusive presentation of 680 WPTF and Applied Vision Works.